Welcome to another ATP Tour podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and as the players enjoy a well-earned off-season break, we hear from a number of them reflecting on 2022 already with half an eye on the new year. Andy Murray talks honestly about the level he's at now compared with his former world number one self. We also have fellow Brit Dan Evans, Marin Cilic, Riley Apelka, Grigor Dimitrov, Yannick Sinner and Karen Hatchinoff. But first, with two titles in Mallorca and Monte Carlo and five more finals he ended up being on the wrong side of in 2022, Stefanos Tsitsipas sums up his year with Lee Goodall. I look at things such as finals, how many I was able to play this year, uh, how consistent I am in terms of going deep into tournaments because that's where the most amount of points are uh, at. And if I'm able to go deep in those tournaments, if I'm able to constantly week after week uh, be there, that is a really good sign for me of improvement, of um, also uh, mentally being way more involved than I was before, uh, which is a really good progress sign. And so far, I've had a lot of wins in a short kind of period span, and it's looking good. And I want to keep generating that, keep keep adding to to, to the ranking, keep adding to my profile as a, as an individual. And uh, it's kind of a very satisfying feeling. I wanna I wanna always add something more, whether that's points, whether that's wins, whether that's anything, uh, whatever benefits me and my career. Nito ATP Finals, you must be very proud of that record. I think I'm right in saying that's your fourth successive season you've qualified. That's, that's some serious consistency. I am for sure proud, but um, I want to be as high as possible in the rankings, regardless of the Nito ATP Finals um, race to Turin. Uh, it is important uh, for me to uh, exceed my goals. It is important to get to that lead as, as, as uh, sooner the better, but of course I'm not in a rush. I'm taking it day after day. I'm focusing more on the on the process than the destination, and uh, I am kind of I'm kind of very hungry to to collect as much as I can. Stefanos Sitsipas, one man with a big game. Another whose form improved in 2022 is former world number eight, Karen Hatchinoff, a U.S. Open semi-finalist this year, and hopefully even more to come. I would say I'm on the rise, and uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of cross the, my wars, but in a way that, you know, I was playing more and more consistent from the middle part of the year and, you know, I was feeling it and I was mentioning in some uh, tournaments also after some matches, you know, that I had more consistent results lately, you know, and, but still I wanted to go more through, I wanted to pass to the further stages to, to win big tournaments and basically, you know, I had the, the big run in New York, you know, in the US Open, that's really feels great, you know, that all the feelings and hard work, you know, they're starting to pay off and, you know, I'm rising and, and playing better tennis. The success that you had uh, in the last few months, did that bring back some of the belief that you might have lost over the last years? To be honest, I always believe in myself, um, let's say in the better times, in the worst times, you know, but <clears throat> one thing is to believe, another thing to do it, you know, and that's why there is a definition between those two things, you know, and you want to put everything in order to 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 do this step forward you know because we can talk about confidence and we can talk about belief but then once you don't pass through those stages you know you might be believing in yourself but you something is missing you know so at the end of the day whenever you you do it whenever you pass through and you have good results it's kind of a um, great feeling inside that you know 
I'm here, you know, I, I, I did it, you know, and, and, and have a motivation for the, for the next goals and of course even more belief. You said you, you always had that belief, but when things didn't work out, work out as you hoped, was it tough to, to stay in it and, and keep that belief? Yeah, I would say it was tough to swallow after some uh, some not great results, after some defeats, you know. But you always have to stay with your feet on the ground. You have to be realistic. Uh, that's why I have my team uh, around me, you know, who who guide me on an everyday basis. You know what I have to do, what I have to improve, and basically why why I don't get those results which I'm hoping for, which I'm training for, you know. And that's kind of stuff and research we were we were doing. Um, during not so good times and you know um, that's why it's, it's a process I would say so you know you have to to be humble you have to know what you did good what you you have to do to be better and uh, you know keep going that direction. Can you see any similarities to that amazing run that you had at the end of 2018? I mean to be honest with you I had some good results even last year you know I had the quarterfinals in a slam I consider it good result you know I had a, a silver medal in the Olympics you know was fighting for the gold and you know some semi-finals I had final of 250 this year so you know there, there, there were some results but I would say maybe not as consistent as I was hoping for and I was aiming to you know and I would say now I, I had um, yeah more consistent months and more consistent game and, and basically the most important is the game and I think the game is getting better now again. Karen Hatchinoff with Ursin Kuderas at the end of his ninth year on tour. That's five more than young Italian Yannick Sinner who's still getting used to the ups and downs. For sure it was uh, a tough year for me um, because I had some uh, in many tournaments I had some some little problems, I had to retire many times, but in the other way I think with the amount of tournaments I played, I played many matches, I played, I made some new experiences, uh, I played some uh, uh, more consistent tennis, uh, talking about results uh, or many, many quarterfinals, many round of 16s, uh, obviously hopefully next year these kind of things it's going to change, but in the other way, I think, um, yeah, unfortunate, but in the other way, I think I, I still can be proud. A transitional year, too, in terms of working with a new coach, Simone. How, how well has that gone? I think it's going very well, to be honest. Um, physically, we are working very hard, and uh, I feel uh, the body good now i think for us uh, one of the most important things of this year is still the off season because i think in the off season we can uh, make a lot of work and uh, then hopefully uh, being ready for next year which i'm sure i i will be and um, yeah um, but i think everything the whole team is uh, is uh, is very very good we understand each other very good so it's uh, it's it's nice to be with them Having played in Turin already, it, it must be disappointing. Can you put it down to the physical side of things and putting that right in order, given how many games you, you, know, you, you had to um, default or the physical problems you had this year, is that the thing that you really want to put right for next year? I think next year is going to be an interesting year for me uh, because, as I said, in the off-season we, we are going to work very hard. Um, the body will be much stronger and uh, 
I think also my game, also because um, when when the new team came in, uh, we changed some uh, also some technical stuff, uh, which uh, we try to optimize it in the in the off season. So hopefully next year I don't have to think so much anymore about that. Um, for sure, playing in Turin is. Uh, it's something special, and to don't be there this year, um, it is a little bit disappointed for sure. But uh, it's gonna be a goal for next year, and uh, I know that I can do it. So let's see next year, and uh, yeah. Mm. But for sure, uh, trying to not miss the important matches, the important tournaments. Now, which this year I missed many of them, ten tournaments less. So let's see. Yannick Sinner with room for improvement and the same could probably be said for Grigor Dimitrov. Let's say I've had better years but uh, I'm not allowed to complain I think uh, despite the fact that I, I felt like I could have had like uh, better results on on I think on certain tournaments but uh, I'm very happy at least that I put myself again and again out there. Um, I'm trying to also build a little bit more of a momentum I think overall in the past um I think the past three, three, four, three, four months have been, I think, a little tough with like injuries and things that I had to take care of, and yeah, I had to just simply um, uh, go one day at a time, and and of course now the body feels good, uh, which is uh, I think it's pretty good news. I'm really looking forward to to even start my off season maybe a little bit earlier and um, and have um, have a good crack at 2023. Yeah, you mentioned the off-season. I mean, you're only 31 still. It's so young in tennis terms these days. What kind of off-season are you looking at and how much do you feel you need to recharge for 23? I think I definitely need some time off just to um, just to take for myself, just to reflect, I think, on the year, on... Uh, on uh, I think a lot of other things that I've been I think that I've been working on and and on my body on my game and and so on I think I'm, I think first and foremost I start structuring the team a little bit more try to um, trying to see what I can do to improve that's all I want uh, just to improve I mean I've done 13 off seasons so uh, I think I know the ins and outs pretty good but uh, I think I just need to. Um, I always like to reassess every time I sit down with, with my team and always think of like what is our goal this time, what is our goal for the four weeks and the five weeks and whatever is it that we need to do and maybe try some, some new things. To stay right at the top of your game requires cast iron mental strength and the ability to handle pressure. That's something that giant American Riley Apelka has been focusing on to reach a career high 17 in the world this year as he told ATP Uncovered. My mentality is, I'd say, analytical. For better or worse, that's just kind of how I've always been wired. Of course the serve is his biggest weapon, but the biggest improvement for me is his mentality. Finding the right balance of it, you know, where do you cross the line of being too analytical, where it becomes detrimental? So it's just a matter of how I'm going to find the right balance to, to manage it better. And the master of the tiebreak has done it again. He's been so impressive in the big moments. He's continued to stay calm. I'm Riley Opelka, and this is my mentality. I think those, those traits and those characteristics start at a very young age, and everyone has different life events and different moments as a kid that, that bring that out of you, you know, where there's always a one or two moments here and there, whether it's at a junior tournament, these moments, in a, I think, in a kid's life where, um, where those, 
those kind of habits start to form. Having a clear identity for who you are as a tennis player is one of the most important, important things in, in the game. It's an American double at Delray Beach. I didn't have that mindset of being a server at a young age. It was, I remember the time quite, it was one of the most frustrating moments in my you know, junior career, let's say. I was 16, 17 years old, playing the way you know, I was raised to play. At age 15, I have to accept playing more reckless, more aggressive, super fearless, and re, kind of re like having ingrained this, this new thought in my mind was quite difficult. It's hard to accept that this was going to be the way I was going to play. I mean, it sounds funny, but it, you have to be comfortable looking, looking stupid out there sometimes at, at my size and playing the way I play. If I get a ball that you know, I like, I'm going to take a high-risk shot and go for, go for something crazy. And it leads to some, some misses that aren't, you know, they look a little silly out there, but that's just the, the nature of it. It's just what it is. It's just the reality of it. Pressure is when there's something on the line that you really want. This time it's the American who holds his nerve under extreme pressure. It all comes out of desire and, and passion of what you want to do. That's when you know pressure's formed when when it's in sight. Oh, he's got it! What a forehand to win it! The biggest win of Riley Apelka's career. It's right off the line. In my case, it's, it's internal. Just like uh, most things, it's something, it comes from me. I play for myself. I think it's healthier that way. I, all pressure is, is healthy in, in the right dosage. And it's, I think it's easier to manage when it's coming from, from you because you can have a direct impact on, on how to manage it, how to adjust, and how to deal with it. I think stress and pressure have the wrong, somewhat of a wrong stigma behind it. It's stress and stress is healthy. You need stress. If there was no stress, there we wouldn't know anything else. There would be no uplifting moment. Let's say it's just a matter of coping with it and how much, you know, how much stress and anxiety do you have. But everyone lives with it. And we can now confirm that that is the longest tiebreak in ATP Tour history. He's done it. He has done it. It's all over. An extraordinary contest between two great players, two good friends. You look at the mindset of the top five guys on tour, but they're abnormal. You know, they're extremely abnormal human beings. They're they're wired different. I, 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 could, I know from experience of being around Venus and Serena Williams, there's nothing normal about them. And I mean that as a total compliment. They're, the way they're wired is, is quite extraordinary. I mean, imagine being, you know, 38, 39 years old with every record in the game and, and 
everything you could imagine, but still doing everything possible to, to get better. I mean, I don't know if I would be able to do that. This is 24-year-old Riley Opelka. He of the six foot 11 height. If you look at his record for the year, he has posted three trips to the finals, including a pair of titles, both of them in Texas. He's been semifinalist or better in five events this year. He's really starting to come to form. I don't think I've had a real slam run yet. I don't, I don't think you go from your best result being fourth round of a slam to just winning one out of nowhere. So I think the, the next step is to make a deeper run in a slam. You know, there's this very particular like order you have to do things in, and I would love to make a quarter of a semi, you know, of a slam here soon, meaning US Open, Australian Open. Uh, and I think that's the next step for me to, to have a better idea of what it takes for me mentally and physically to make the real run, which is to play for a, for a Grand Slam trophy. One man who can tell you what it feels like and what it takes to win a Grand Slam is Marin Cilic, US Open champion in 2014. Formerly world number three, he found himself outside the world's top 40 last year, but finished this year back inside the world's top 20. When Chris Bowers went to meet him, he wanted to know whether those past glories perhaps helped him rediscover his form. I would say in, in general... Um the tennis has not run away from me you know it's just that uh you know feeling of you know putting all things together uh, finding good form in the practices and uh, transferring that onto the match court and you know sometimes and generally you know when you watch tennis on a high level as we as we often do on grand slams and atps and and it seems quite simple and then uh, you come to some stages where it becomes a little bit more difficult to put uh, those things uh, together and uh, it feels a little bit weird which you know tennis is a very complex game and uh, there are so many components that need to go right and so uh, you find yourself sometimes in those uh, situations and uh, looking for solutions and you know for me I never doubted that I'm going to find, uh, you know, playing good tennis and just needed, you know, a little bit of a push. And so it's been a fantastic work with my team that I've done in these last 12 months. And, uh, you know, the results of that uh, are showing definitely on the court. I know no one should be surprised, but your results have been on all three surfaces, semi-final at Roland Garros, fourth round at Australian and US Open, uh, runner-up in... Tel Aviv to Djokovic. I mean, that must be incredibly satisfying. Semi-finals in Queens and not, yeah. not no, no chance to play at Wimbledon because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah true. And, and for me, you know, that's been uh, also during the whole career, uh, you know, a great asset to play on the whole, all, all four surfaces uh, and to, you know, play uh, fantastically well everywhere. And that's been, uh, you know, fantastic this season where I was able to, you know, somewhere from that middle of clay season until basically this point now uh, kept uh, this high high quality form and then play uh, great tennis you became a father in january 2020 how much did your goal setting have to change as a result of that not much i would say you know still you know family is uh, the core of my life and uh, you know i devote uh, so much uh, my my time also to them and and uh, you know just you know my feelings and everything uh, for my family and and that's uh, something that gives me such a great uh, stability and strength uh, for what I do and and tennis uh, in in terms of that didn't change much um you know it just probably changed 
in my looking into tennis uh, just gave me a little bit more uh, direct uh, view on when I'm going to practice, when I'm going into the tournaments that, you know, I'm really absolutely dedicated to do uh, absolutely the best I can and to use that time the best I can. How's your training regime changed, not just with the family, but as you've got older? It changed uh, a touch in, in terms of, you know, when you get experienced and when you try so many things uh you are shrinking the the resume you know so you know what works what doesn't work and you focus on those things that actually work the best and this year this year for me the calendar has been uh, really good i was picking the tournaments well and uh you know having some time off you know okay taking uh, even sometimes a couple of days extra to you know recharge you know do uh, come back to to my routines and uh, restart again with the training so that's been uh, really well and most of the tournaments where I was uh, you know I was uh, absolutely 100% into it without feeling drained obviously with Roger having just retired we're thinking a lot about him and his generation who knows how long Nadal and Murray still have to play Djokovic seems to be very strong do you look back at this stage of your career on the big moments against them? Do you find yourself thinking about great matches you played against uh, Roger, Rafa, Novak? Yes. Yes, I do. And, and very often I would go on YouTube and uh, watch highlights of uh, many of their matches because uh, those were the pinnacles of the sport. Uh, Roger, you know, I don't know what he would say, but his career was, was so long and, uh, you know, even we don't remember him uh, you know, so vividly from, you know, back from the days from 2005, 6, 7, 8, you know, possibly those were his most incredible years uh, as, a, as, a, as a player. Um, and, and he transformed tennis. And so, uh, you know, those, those moments I always remember, I always, uh, you know, remember them with, with, with positives, some with negatives. Uh, but uh, those are the ones that I feel uh, push me to go, to go stronger and to uh, you know, get myself to another level. He's retired at 41. You're a youngster of 34. Yeah. But do you have any idea of how long you're going to go on? Um, I have no idea. And uh, not trying to think of a number, even though it's been uh, very busy in the retirement world now these, these last, last couple of months. And so... Uh, you know, this generation has, you know, produced so many incredible tennis guys uh, and, and also on the women's tour. So uh, not thinking about it, taking it step by step, enjoying the game, uh, looking, looking ahead and feeling that, you know, still I can have uh, good progress and some uh, great achievements. And for an extended version of Chris's chat with Marin, check out the podcast channel and you'll find it there. Another player who's had a great year is Brit. Dan Evans. In fact, after 16 years out there on tour, I even asked him if it might have been up there with his best. It's been a good year. I've played some good tennis. It's uh, yeah, f- been enjoyable. It's um, been a lot of ups, some downs, but it's uh, yeah, it's been nice to be another year year out there fighting, having um, a lot of fun and trying to get the best results can get, you know, week in, week out. And it's um, yeah, it's it's been. Um, to be honest, yeah, one of the better years I've had, so it's it's been very good. Montreal semi-final, an obvious highlight, and it's the second time you've knocked on the door of a, a Masters final. How attainable does it feel now at this stage in your career to to get one of these in the bag? 
yeah, it's obviously I look at these tournaments a lot differently to you know the the top top guys. You know, I have to have a lot of things full right, have to play a lot of good tennis. But it's, you know, it shows I can get to to the latter stages of these tournaments if I do do certain things and play play the right tennis. So it's um, it's nice that I've made the semis this year in Montreal. You know, I had chances in the match, and it's uh, it was another good week on tour and. You know, you never know. Keep fighting, see, see what happens. The way you play, you're an entertainer, you're a touch player. You, you mentioned things need to feel right. Can you still improve or is it just about tinkering with your game now? No, I can improve. It's uh, That's what we're out here, you know, on the practice courts trying each day. It's, um, I think you're, you're right. In some ways I have to just, you know, tinker a few things. Can't be out there for hours practicing. It's... Uh, won't be much good for me now so it's you know to try and play certain way on on big points or you know sort of let the opponent make the mistake on on the big points or come in on the big points it's, um you know there's a few different ways and that's different way for me to play Evans learning from experience whereas fellow Brit Andy Murray is almost choosing to forget his former glories and focus on the here and now it's difficult because when you've been at the top of the game and got to number one is that that's always what your sort of reference point is in terms of how you're doing. So in that respect, like it's been pretty average in terms of where my ranking is at and the performances and stuff that I've had, you know, that's disappointing for me. But then at the beginning of the year, I was ranked 135 in the world and I'm now around 45 or something, um, which you know, it's a big jump. So for a lot of players that, you know, that would be really positive. And, you know, I would like to have done better. I, I don't feel like I've played my best tennis um, this year. Physically, I've been good for the for the most part. I got slightly unfortunate with the injury right before Wimbledon and Stuttgart, but it's been okay the year. I would have liked to have, do, to have been better, but um, there's been lots of improvements from last year, big difference in the ranking and Hopefully next year I can keep progressing. With next year, how much do you look ahead and, and, and design almost, not targets, but an idea of how you'd like to build? No, I mean, I've been chatting a lot about the off-season and the stuff that I want to do with my team. And, you know, I've got that plan in terms of where I'm going to do that. I'm going to go over to Florida, you know, for the first time in a while. And that's where I used to, you know, used to always do my off-seasons there. And, um, you know, really put in some hard work on, you know, on my game and, and physically, um, and yeah, just I want to keep progressing. Like this year, I, I have progressed a lot from where I was. Um, if things obviously start to go backwards and you know performances don't improve or physically, you know I'm struggling. Then you know I have to look at things. But I'm still kind of going in the direction that I want to be. And um, yeah, got got plans to to have a good year next year. How do you reflect on on British tennis this year and, and how it's come along? Yeah, I think um, it's it's been good. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Jack is one of the best prospects on the tour right now. Um, you know, he's he's not played loads of tennis uh, in comparison to a lot of the, the young guys around his age. You know, he's had quite a lot of injuries and, and setbacks over the last few years. And, you know, he's, he's a big guy. And I think that that's normal, um, you know, for that to happen when you're, you know, still growing and everything. And you know, adjusting to full-time tennis, essentially, professional tennis is, is a bit different. Um, 
and I think yeah he's he's had a brilliant year and uh, I expect him to yeah to keep going higher um, next season and you know Cam has has done really well been very solid throughout the year and you know maintained his, his ranking up near the the top 10 in the world and and Dan he'll be I don't know exactly but I think he'll be pretty close to finishing as high as he's ever finished a year before so yeah all, all those guys have, have done done really well this year Great. Just a little bit on, on Roger, obviously an emotional farewell from tennis for him at the Labour Cup. What's that like for you, obviously being such a big part of each other's careers, really? Well, I think the way that it was done, I thought was brilliant. I thought him finishing alongside Rafa um, just yeah, kind of felt right. And I, I really enjoyed the week and getting to spend time with, with those guys again. You know, there's been hardly any tournaments between... I don't know, the last four or five years where all of us have actually been competing in the same event because of, well, essentially injuries and just age, really. Um, so, yeah, it was just great great to be a part of that. Um, it was obviously really sad to to see him go, but, yeah, like, that, that's what happens in sport. You know, it's sort of, you get to a certain age and your body's not able to do what it what it once did. And um, and it's tough and it's it's brutal, but... Um, he seemed totally at peace with the the decision. You know whether he was or not, I don't know. But he appeared to be that week. He was on brilliant form, and um, like I said, I thought it was yeah, it was a really nice way for for him to finish. And obviously, tennis will take a while to recover um, from that. But you know we have young players coming up now that are you know brilliant. Um, as well and we'll, we'll carry the sport uh, forward in the next few years. One of those young players is Serb Miamir Kecmanovic who ended 2022 one below his career high ranking of 28. He was also the last to start in our regular series asking the players how they like to travel. Misha, what do you enjoy about travelling? I think that's the biggest one, you know, we get to see uh, you know, a different place every week. It's not bad. We're seeing a lot worse places. <laughs> so we're here at the Where San Sierra, big stadium. We're excited for the game and, you know, we can't wait to see it. You know, different culture, you know, meet a lot of people, a lot of fans. So I think it's a, you know amazing experience overall and it's something everybody looks forward to. Is there a place on tour or a city that you especially look forward to going to or that you've really enjoyed? I think Melbourne. Melbourne for me is very nice. You know, there's a lot of Serbians down there too, so it kind of feels similar to home. I like Acapulco a lot. You know, the tournament's amazing on the beach, you know, so that's, that's also a pretty cool place. All right, the first item I think is gonna be the shirt. I don't usually go out that much, you know, when we're in tournaments, but you know, sometimes it's nice to, you know, go out with the team or some friends or just, just have a little bit of fun to not think about the tennis aspect. Well, that's a nicely folded shirt. Um, yeah, and I'm keeping it like that. I'm not, I'm not gonna take it out. I'll just put it back in the suitcase. So you don't unpack typically when you get to tournaments? No, no, I leave everything in the bags and then I just take what I, what I need. Next, um, I think the headphones. You know, it's pretty important. I don't really travel anywhere without them. 
you know, just like to listen to some stuff, you know, we'll watch movies or whatever, and it's always nicer with, with some headphones. Are you good at not losing things when you travel? Because they're obviously quite small. What's your track record like when you're traveling the world? Yeah, no, I'm very good, because if, if I don't see something, I cannot sleep until I see it. I'm very, very picky about that. All right, next one, uh, the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I mean, I love this one, you know, I've played so much on it and it's a pretty cool thing to, you know, waste, waste time when you have a lot of time. What games do you play on the Nintendo Switch? I have, I think, 10 games, you know, I have Super Mario, I have FIFA, of course, and then, you know, Assassin's Creed, so there's, there's a bunch of cool games on this thing. What's the favorite game? Favorite game? Assassin's Creed, definitely. My iPad? Mm -hmm. I don't really use it that much, but you know I like to have it, you know, just in case um, I need it or want to use it or you know watch watch something on it. Now the speaker, I just got it recently, and it's um, you know pretty cool thing, you know, to play in the room or you know when you're showering or just to you know hear some some music. And my uh, my physio, he also got one, so we have the same one, so we put them together, and it's. it's uh, Pretty cool atmosphere. What music do you enjoy listening to? Um, I mean, pop, rap, you know, those kinds of things. Um, it's a pretty cool thing to have. All right, and last thing, the phone. Obviously, <laughs> the most important one. I cannot do anything without it. It's basically with me 24-7. <laughs> How do you pass the time on the phone? Do you enjoy social media or chatting to friends? What do you like to do? Yeah, um, I'm on you know Instagram or you know talking with people on WhatsApp and also watching Netflix on this thing too. How often do you call home or call friends when you're traveling? Almost every day, I think, because uh, you know we have a lot of time between matches, practice, so you know it's a nice way to you know kill some time, talk to people, you know catch up and everything. These are my travel essentials. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you soon. Mirmir Ketchmanovic with Kate Flory and the ATP Uncovered team. Finally this week, we end reflecting on the sad passing of visionary coach Nick Bollicieri, who, as well as setting up his now legendary tennis academy, guided the fortunes of some of the game's biggest stars, including Boris Becker, Andre Agassi, Jim Courier, Monica Seles, Maria Sharapova and the Williams sisters. Bollicieri was never shy of sharing his opinion, and a few years ago I had the great pleasure and fortune to spend some time with him in Miami at a kids' clinic he was running. His enthusiasm, let's just say, was infectious. Well, first of all, it's always a big thrill for me to be able to, to chat with different organisations, and especially with the ATP. Thumbs up to all the young players coming up from throughout the world. And what that does, the best players of the world must play the best all the time because of the youngsters that have nothing to lose. I've just been watching an IMG Academy session here. You've got 24 sessions this week, four yes. a day, all, all for six days. The kids we've just been watching were sort of 10 to 12 years old, and I think there's going to be 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds as well. With 10-year-olds, what do you want to see in a 10-year-old? A 10-year-old is not to discourage the 10-year-old is to make them feel that they can do it. Also very important in the beginning of 10, 11, 12, not winning, developing their game, developing the, the, the spirit, 
how to play the game, how to build points, rather than having to win all the time and not doing things that will help you to be a player in the long run. So then what about 14, 15, 16? Do you want to see them fighting more, winning more? At 14, 15, 16, most of them are through making changes, except Pete Sampras at 14 when, when his doctor made a change and he went through agony for two years and developed one of the best one-handed backhands in the world. At 14, 15, 16, they should start learning how to play, getting ready to earn a scholarship to college. What most youngsters don't know, and parents, and coaches as well, at the 3,000 people playing on the circuit, less than 1% will make a living. Think of an education. Think of getting a scholarship. Now, if you're one of those few youngsters that have the ability and you're given a big contract, then perhaps you should consider it. Back in the 80s and the 90s, I turned my kids pro when they were still in diapers. Not today. And what do you say to a player who perhaps has a, a shot like a jack sock forehand or going back even further, Alberto Beresategui? Do, do you try as a coach um, and a preeminent coach to coach that out of them or do you go with it? No. Today's game, 70% is paid from the forehand side. What you want to do is to get into your weapon as many times as you can. So that when you practice and you can get into that big forehand, do it. But also look at the footwork. We haven't talked about the game today that's made up of techniques, mental and physical. Today the game is very physical. And remember, back in the 70s and early and the 80s and early 90s, my students 5'10", 5'11". Pete Sampras was a giant at 6'1". Today, the average size on the men's tour, 6'3 to 6'4". Ladies, 5'9 to 5'11". And also, you can't get away with a real weakness in today's game. You just can't protect it that much. You mentioned Pete. I I wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the 70s and the 80s and who your most unruly... I was telling the guys about this question before, and they were wondering well, who you're going to talk about. You Who's your most unruly student ever? His initials are AA. That's it. I take the Fifth Amendment. I was wondering whether they might start AA. But the student that was the most talented of my 60 years of teaching, Marcelo Rios. Had the best hands, feet he created. Didn't appreciate the game. The players didn't sign autographs for the children. It was sad. I think he was number one for two or three weeks. Nick, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for talking with us on ATP Tennis Radio. Thank you very much, everybody. Nick Bollettieri, a true one-off who passed away this week at the age of 91. Next week, our attention turns to doubles, the game and the personalities involved. And I hope you can join us for that In the meantime, check out the podcast channel for lots more exclusive chats with the very best in the business. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening to another ATP podcast.